five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 109 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. Squid, we start another year, and happy to be here, uh, it looks like, because we're still here. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm going down to Cincinnati to visit, see my son, because he didn't make it home for Christmas. So we're going to go down there tomorrow and uh, come back on Sunday. Uh Fantastic. So, yeah, so we're getting things rock and rolling here. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, getting right to it, our guest today was chosen 108th overall by the New Jersey Devils in a 1986 draft. Enjoy close to a 10-year pro career. Dabble in politics, which we'll get into. Uh, plays charity games with you, I believe, at, at different mm-hmm. times. Uh, working for NHL causes, which is always a great thing. Troy Crowder, first off, Troy, thanks for joining us today. And how you keeping? Oh, I'm doing good. Pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. So how are you staying busy these days? You talked off air saying you've got lots on the go. So maybe fill us in on some of the things you're doing. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, well, I've got a piece of property that I've owned for 30 years that uh, used to be a resort. So it's a never ending make work project that keeps me fairly busy. Um, I'm doing a few charity games right now. I've been working on some skate projects that I've uh, patented years ago and then developed some new stuff. So doing a lot of trial and error things uh, with that. And uh, yeah, just, you know, trying to stay busy, looking to do a little bit of a tour uh, with some other alumni guys, some enforcers and uh, a little bit of a mental health uh, awareness tour and try to get that organized. But, uh, you know, that may be this spring or next fall. We'll see how things play out. Well, is that inter- maybe a little bit about this? That's funny you mention that because Red Kelly's son, I, I met in Lake Placid, and he is involved in skates. To try, to- he said that every pair of skates somebody puts on when you buy them in the store, they don't fit you properly. Yeah. Because there's, and he is, it's been his goal. And I, I haven't talked to him for a couple of years, but he is going to eventually design a skate. He cust- he helps custom design skates for not only NHL yeah. players at times, but for kids playing because he said it's so critical in today's game for the, that the skates don't fit properly and they should. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, uh, well, I, I've said this for 20 years cause I've been doing it for about 25 years that, uh, you can have a Ferrari engine, but if you got Volkswagen suspension, you're not going to turn the corner very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a very good point. Uh, yeah. I can't argue yeah. with that. <laughs> no. And, and then there's so many factors involved with, uh, the proper amount of ankle bend, uh, you know, to get that proper flexion that's, you know, not just ideal in general, but to your body type, you know, uh, bow-legged guys don't need as much bend as a knock-kneed guy, you know, and there's all kinds of factors in the width and the length and uh, where your center of balance is versus where the blade's located. And I mean, I could go on forever and ever and ever, but uh, I patented an adjustable blade holder where you can change where the blade is located in your on your skate so that you can find your balance point. And I patented an eyelid extension that allows you to put your eyelids farther forward to your desired bending point. And 
I've got about three other things that I've been working on, but I haven't patented them because uh, the patent process isn't very good unless you got a lot of money to fight uh, the big boys. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. You said, well, it's so funny. Well, my little funny story here, sidetrack. I, when I bought skates about four or five years ago, I had to buy a pair and break down. I go into the store and I never I always wore tax. And that shows you how yeah. old I am. So I, I'm buying these Bowers and I'm looking at them and the, the cost went anywhere from 200 to 1,000. So oh, yeah. I look at this one pair and I'm looking at their 250 and these, the next ones are 450. And I go, yeah. all right, buddy. I'm not very smart. Tell me, what's the difference in these two? I can't see it, like between yeah. this and this for $200. And he said, well, that's last year's model. Yeah. This is this year's model. And you see the in eyelet at the top and the inside of your boot? Yeah. yeah. Well, you notice that one's tapered a little lower, and that's better for your edges. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, take a look at this body and this face. <laughs> <laughs> like this body. Do you think edges matter at a 60-year-old playing hockey? He goes, yeah. take the cheap ones. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or you're an old guy, the easier it is to skate, the easier it is to skate. So That's if someone can point. do something to make it easier for you to skate, then the less work you got to do, the longer you can keep playing hockey. That's a good point. Yeah, That's I a think good I point. saw that island one you were talking about. You had yeah, yeah, yeah. with you one time. Yeah, I had uh remember Aaron Eckblad was playing junior. That's kind of, he was my first project uh, that I kind of went thinking that that might launch things but uh, yeah so he was in junior had world junior camp and I uh, skated so much at the world junior camp and getting ready for it that he had lace bite so bad that he couldn't uh, couldn't even put his boot on and so I had moved to Barry I don't know how long I'd been there for if that was my second year I think maybe in Barry anyways he had heard through the grapevine I was doing this eyelet thing that helped with lace bite and allowed you to bend and stuff so uh, he called me and I ended up meeting him down at the rink um, at morning skate. And he just finished, the team had just finished, but he was just getting his ankle iced. And so I said, well, this is the deal. This is the thing I got right here. He goes, well, can you put them on my skates? I'm like, yeah, it takes five minutes. So I went in, grabbed the trainer's screwdriver, put them on. And uh, he goes, I'm going to try them right now. I'm like, sure, go ahead. And he skated around and he just started smiling from ear to ear. He goes, I went from like not knowing when I'm going to play hockey again to like, I'm going to skate tonight. And so he wore them that year. He must've broke 35 pair of them because he cranks his skates so tight, but um, I had to keep developing better plastics and just kept fitting them and fitting them. But he went from a top five ranked kid to number one overall next year. He wore them. He was uh, rookie of the year, about halfway through the following season, uh, I tried to negotiate to kind of get him on board with his agent and I was getting the run around because Bauer didn't want to do this and didn't want this and whatever, whatever. And so anyways, I just stopped supplying it kind of thing. It was getting frustrating. And uh, anyway, so ended up breaking his leg a little, a little while after that. He didn't have the eyelid extension. He's locked in his boot and couldn't turn properly. And so, yeah, so it's, uh, I've, I've fit uh, quite a few guys. So yeah. Uh, eventually, well, you see even the companies right now, like I went and looked at skates this year and, you know, Bauer's got individual eyelets now. They've got the eyelets all used to go back to your ankle and now they all go straight up and down and some of them go farther away, creating yeah. a bigger opening. And so after 20 years, they're all starting to finally realize how important this is. And uh, but there's still so many more things that should be done in a pair of skates like that's That's just one of five things that should be adjustable or customizable to a person. Well, it's so funny listening to the guys talk in our day. It was a rocker skate yeah. on the blade. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now guys are talking about the the indentation, the hollow point in yeah, the yeah. blade, and yeah. about how deep it is or how far it's cut. Yeah. And when you hear, and even to hear guys at our age talking about the guy that day is complaining, God damn, I told that guy that I wanted a you know point six with yeah. a hollow, and he didn't write it down. And I was looking yeah. at the guy saying, how how can you remember that? And he and he did yeah. it wrong. And I'm on my skates. I don't like him. So yeah. even us guys are complaining still too about. Well, it. So it is uh, obviously again, a factor. That's, it makes a factor even in the hollow because. You just think of how thin a blade is. Now, if you cut that thing really deep and shallow, like a half inch hollow, they call them, is this what used to be the standard? Yeah. My 240 pounds is digging in the ice. So mm -hmm. if you cut it at three quarters of an inch hollow or five eighths or even an eight or an inch hollow, which is a much flatter bottom, I don't dig in the ice as much. Yeah. So it makes it, my glide a lot easier. So if you're a heavier guy, you want less of a hollow so you have more glide, easier to be a you know, staying above the ice and you're not digging in all the time. Good. Squid, any yeah, thoughts I, on that? I think mine are usually around three quarters to seven eighths. Yeah, that's what I go on. Yeah, that's that's kind of yeah, the big man's uh, big man's cut or or a senior like uh, Mike's talking about. <laughs> if you're not worried about really cutting a sharp edge, you might as well be floating on top and gliding, you know. Hey, boys, as long as I can stay on top of the ice, that's all I care about. Exactly. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, well, now the other thing I guess we should talk about is that you're, you guys have something else in common, not only playing the National Hockey League, but your boys both went to Miami, Ohio together, and I yeah. think they're back together now in Cincinnati. Well, they never yeah. played at the same time at Miami, Ohio, but they did. They both are alumni, and my son's, this is his first year in the ECHL, and uh, he's already pulling uh, me. He's a bit of a suitcase his first year, so he went down to the Everglades, never even got there for more than a couple of days they had 9d they got guys sent to them so they traded him and he went to kansas city they had 9d got in maybe five or six games there and uh realized the coach said listen they're just we don't have room so they sent him to uh cincinnati and uh fortunately when he got there there was a suspension and a bunch of guys injured so he got to play i think they had 5d the first game it was pretty excited so yeah, they, three games, they've been going three, they've been going five D for a few games now. And yeah, I think three games he played with five six D and then uh he was all excited for their last game, but then the snowstorm hit and they never got to play. So uh they're back at it, I guess, on the twenty eighth. So yeah, he's, well, I'm he's gonna be there, the, the opportunity to play. Hey boys, maybe a, a a father son yeah. trip maybe coming up or a father father yeah, yeah. trip coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going well, down. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I are going down Wednesday. We're going to go to Indy Friday and gotcha. then watch the game Saturday, come back Sunday. So, yeah. So I'll awesome. get to meet your meet your son. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so give him a big hug for Christmas for me. I, 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 I'll, I'll do, I will. didn't know what he was going to get for, uh, for time off, but the two days in the snowstorm didn't do much. No, uh, Justin didn't make it home either. And a couple of guys got stranded. Polino was trying to get to Ellicottville, and he never yeah. made it. And, <laughs> boy, now, I'll tell you, the, the, it was a pretty crazy two days. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, Troy, you were born in suburbs, we, we talked about out there, um, a yeah. breeding ground for hockey players. Talk oh, yeah. about life growing up as a youngster. Well, my playing. dad, my dad uh, played in the East Coast League, the, what called the Eastern League back in the day, and uh, – he was a hard-nosed defenseman, and um, my brother was born in Nashville, and my dad was playing there. Um, I was born in the summertime back in Sudbury, 
uh, the year be uh, the year after and then they played in jacksonville for a while and mm-hmm. um my dad was about 23 24 or so and uh, philadelphia had just come in the league and they invited him to come to camp they were looking for a for a tough nosed defenseman kind of thing and he used to fight Schultze and all those guys back in the day and um but when he came home that summer my grandfather was a mine manager and uh, one of his big bosses kind of gave my dad the opportunity to to work at a very nice job at Inco, the mining company, you know, I'd be an underground, being an HR guy and uh, lots of benefits. So, you know, the kids are taken care of and way more money than he was making. Probably would have been more money than he made in the NHL at that time. You know? <laughs> and so uh, he opted, opted that way out. But I guess genetically that uh, love for hockey was put into me and my brother. And we lived literally like... 400 yards from an outdoor rink so that was our before school after school after dinner every day of the winter down there skating and playing and loving hockey and so yeah my 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 love for hockey you know was what kept me going and then by the time I got to junior you know my role changed because of my size you know I went from being the top player captain on my midget team to uh, the enforcer for the Hamilton Steelhawks under Bill of Forge. So, um, but, you know, understandably so, a, a tough role and everything else. I just didn't want to give up the game because I loved hockey so much. So, you know, you're willing to sacrifice and do whatever you can to keep playing. And uh, and the one good thing I can say about Bill of Forge is that uh, he said, if you're going to make it, this is how you're going to make it, you know? So uh, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was, that was my route. It's funny. Uh, Troy, we talk about that a lot with a lot yep. of the guys we have on here yep. Yep. about how, you know, you're growing up, you're playing Bantam, Midget, you're the best player, get to junior, you're probably one of the better players. Then all of a sudden you got to change when you get to the next level yep. and you got to do something else. You got to stand out. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I tell that to my kid and, and Lou Lamarillo was really, really key in explaining this, not just as a fighter, but as a player. He says a hockey team is like an orchestra. And you got to realize that it takes a tuba player and it takes a saxophone and a trombone yeah. and a violin and a harp. And a, so you got to <laughs> analyze, you know, what's going on on your team and where you're going to fit in and to play. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, when you're drafted by a team, uh, you, if you do want to make that particular team and you're unlike today where your agents call and get you traded the next day, back in the day, you're with that team. So you better figure out what, what role you're going to do to be on that team. Well, we know all about that squid. You went through that, right. And playing in the eighties and guys getting designated that way and no, no options whatsoever, except to do what you're told or, or move on. You no move. Yeah. It's funny because a guy like Greg Carrion, who is so talented, Played for in Brant Brantford in, in uh, OHL, and he was a great player. But when he went to LA, they put him in a defensive position as a third line checking centerman, and he could never get out of it. Even yeah. though he was, I thought he was a much better player than anybody ever gave him credit. But you know, sometimes you got to find a niche that where you're going to fit in and you're going to stay around for a while. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Now. As, as Squid started touching on about the, we asked guys about this, you know, the crossover to all of a sudden change your role on, on the hockey team. Were you always big size, by the way, growing up? It sounds like you were obviously big, but did, was there a moment you just had to say, look, 
it's what I got to do. And did you, did you then go out and start looking for it or they just come to you because you were big anyway? Well, so I grew up with uh, Craig Duncanson, who was a first round draft pick to LA and Darren Moxham, uh, who was captain of Belleville Bulls and the Kitchener Rangers and uh, both very tough players. They played that way. Uh, one a year older and one two or three years older than me. And uh, they both just said to me right off the bat, you know, you're six foot five, Troy, they're going to want you to fight. Um, so that was kind of like the pre get ready to fight, uh, speech I got from them. So they asked me if I'd ever been in a fight before. And I said, well, not really. So, uh, that one of their buddies had got jumped uh, a week or two before at a, by a few other guys. And they knew they were all going to be at this dance at the Italian club or whatever, the Crusoe club. And, uh, so they said, well, they don't know who you are, your little baby face. So like, uh, you're going to be the guy that sparks this for us. And we'll, we'll get, we'll get in a good fight here. Right. So anyways, I, I end up ruffling some feathers and getting things going there. And we end up, uh, laying a beating on a few guys and, uh, boys like, well, you know how to fight. That's for sure. And so that was, that was my first intro. And then we, we in turn then went to, uh, to the boxing gym and, uh, my dad, would let me stay up as a kid to watch hockey night in Canada. And, or if there was a boxing match, especially because that was kind of in Muhammad Ali's prime at the time. Yeah. And so Muhammad Ali, I always thought as a kid was like the most coolest guy in the world and the way he danced around and the way he hit the speed bag and, you know, just his things he would say. And, you know, you win the fight before you even get in it because the way you trained and things like that. So I asked for a speed bag for my birthday when I was 12 <laughs> so uh, I put it up in the woodshed at the back of my parents' house and uh, used to hit it quite often and loved the rhythm that it used to make, you know. And so by the time I went into boxing at 16, well, I'd been hitting a speed bag for four years. So yeah. my, hand-eye, my hand-eye coordination was pretty good. So then I just had to learn the techniques of like twisting your foot and, you know, using your hips and a few things. So it didn't take long before... Uh, me, Craig, and Darren were beating the crap out of each other, and uh, and we decided that that w- that was enough sparring because we were all feeling like we were getting headaches or whatever, right? So we're like, okay, we're all good enough. We're ready for the season. And so <laughs> that that, uh, that was kind of my warm up to it. And then uh, I went into junior, and my coach at the time, Bill, just said, uh, you know, a couple, you know, ex- not we hadn't even played an exhibition game, but we had had like inter squad and whatever. And I didn't fight. I just didn't think, well, why would I fight one of my possible teammates kind of thing? You know, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So um, Bill said, do you want to be on this team? I'm like, yeah, I want to be on the team. And he goes, okay, we're playing London tomorrow. So there's a guy named Greg Smythe. And they said, if you fight Greg Smythe tomorrow, he said, I'll sign you to a contract. I said, okay. So next game we played and I fought Greg Smythe and I beat him up and uh, went in the office the next morning and coach said, great job, sign here. And boom, I was on the team. So I was like, okay, this is good, right? Uh, next game we played against Windsor and I went to hit a guy and he cross-checked me in the face and split my face wide open. I could, I was knocked out cold and trying to figure out what bench to go to or whatever, right? So I uh, come back to the, I look down, I see my jerseys red and I look over and I see they got red jerseys. So then I realize, okay, that's the area I got to skate towards, you know, and I get to the bench and the trainer just takes me off right away. And so I get stitched up and I'm out for the next whatever week of exhibition games, week and a half, two weeks, whatever it was. And 
I get back in time for the first game of the season and uh, we're playing the Marlies. They were in uh, the, the OHL at the time. And yeah. uh, Brian Tessier was the goalie and he was my goalie back in midget. So I'm like, oh, God, am I playing against the guy? So I'm all happy to play. You know, I know a guy on the other team, whatever. Right? And first period, puck comes. I'm blo- I'm in front of the net just screening the goalie, you know. And puck comes, I give a little tip, and boom, it goes in the net. So I scored my first goal. I'm like, yeah, too bad, too buddy, uh, bad, eh, Brian? I'm giving my buddy you know, a little bit of shit there. And, you know, go on, second period, same thing. I'm in front of the net screening, but this time it just kind of hits me and goes in. You know, I didn't have to touch the puck, so I got two goals now, and third period comes around and I don't play a shift and my parents, you know, come down from Sudbury and they're, you know, Troy after the game, like what happened, you know, you get hurt or something, what I, and you say something to coach. And I'm like, no, I'm not sure what happened. And my dad's like, well, you know, you're, you're now an adult cause you're living away from home. And, you know, even though I just turned 17 and yeah. he's like, you got to go in and you got to talk to your coach and ask him what went wrong and what you could do better to get more ice. And, so I went in the next day and I said, you know, coach, I said, I, you know, I just wondering what I did wrong, why I didn't play in the third period. And Bill looked at me at this death stare and he said, you're not here to score goals. <laughs> Remember that. <laughs> and that, that was the end of my conversation. I just said, okay. Now <laughs> I know. Bill. Thank you, coach. And no. walked out of the dressing room, you know, and that was and later on, he told me, he says, you can do pretty much anything you want as long as you drop the gloves when I tell you to drop the gloves. And that was kind of our uh, understanding for the rest of uh, my year there. So, Troy, wow. did, you, did you ever, like, have any uh, problems adapting to a new way of playing or from oh, what yeah, you were no, used it was to? It was very, yeah, it was stressful. I mean, like I, you know, like I said, I. I boxed my buddies a little in the summer, but that was my, my first ever old fight on the ice was against the guy in the exhibition game, you know, and my second was my second game of whatever the season. And so it was all very new to me trying to learn how to, where to grab and what to do. But uh, I had, you know, fairly long arms and I could throw fast and hard and I was accurate. So I had that as a least good starting point, but it didn't take me long (laughs) to figure out how to, how to maneuver guys and use their other arm to figure out when they're going to punch and throw them off balance. And, but you know, you're still under stress, you know, cause you don't know what, what if the next guy's bigger and faster or what if this or whatever. So yeah, yeah, it took, it took me quite a while to probably into the, my pro days before I realized how to not really think about it. I just started going like, there's nothing I can do to change what's going to happen between now and the time I maybe get in a fight. So mm-hmm. why am I wasting all this energy thinking about it? Just like Muhammad Ali said, you know, if you've trained well enough, you've already won the fight kind of thing. And so, you know, I trained every summer, you know, boxing and training and I worked out lots and I hit the bag lots. And uh, I'd, I learned the technique of how to use my body style to win fights. And so I kind of, after a while, didn't worry about it as much, but it took my couple of years of junior and my first year of pro to kind of get that under my belt to understand that, you know? Well, if it, if it makes you feel any better, we've had every enforcer from Matthew Barnaby to George LaRock to Andre yeah. Wild, you, you name, we've had so many guys on and Chris Nyland, yeah. every guy said exactly what you said. And yeah, but yeah. pretty much they were, they would have anxious moments and it took yeah. them a long time. It's, it, it's not an easy job. No, it's not an easy job. And, and you know what? It was a combination of Muhammad Ali. And then uh, I was sent to this health farm down in, in Arizona called Canyon Ranch. 
because I had a little bit of a dispute with my American League coach and I didn't want to play for him and whatever else. And so I kind of parted ways with uh, the team for a while. And then they sent me down there to get in shape. And uh, they, at this place, they had every doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, mental therapist, everything to stop smoking, lose weight, get healthier, whatever you wanted, right? And then she kind of helped explain too that, you know, the concept of, there's nothing that's going to change between now and then. And, you know, and if, if you start feeling that way, focus on something that makes you feel strong and happy and whatever else, and just change your mindset. And so, you know, a combination of just learning from other people, you know, whether it was Muhammad Ali or the therapist or whatever, just practice over time, you kind of learn. It never fully goes away, but uh, it's a lot easier to worry about it for a few minutes than for, a, you know, five days before you're going to play the Philadelphia Flyers or, uh, or whoever, right. Or the Detroit Red Wings for your rematch or something, you know. Now your draft year, when you, yeah. you got selected by New Jersey, talk about all that and how that all came down and who contacted you and this, did they describe a role to you or did you know what your role was going to be? Well, basically, like I said, I, you know, it all happened so fast. Imagine like, my season ends in March playing a hockey in in Walden, Ontario. It wasn't even double A AA or triple A to being in the OHL to, you know, from the time I left Walden a year and two months later, I'm drafted in the NHL, yeah. you know, like it was a pretty huge jump in my mind of like that it was even going to happen or that it did happen or whatever. Um, but knowing that, you know, I was probably the toughest guy in the OHL my very first year, and I was fighting all the time that that was probably going to be my role kind of thing. You know, uh, it was never insinuated by Lou or by anybody, but, uh, you know, as a presumption, I kind of figured that, um, <laughs> yeah, but I'd be a pretty know, good so, one. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like I said, you know, they drafted me that year, that year I was, uh, half, not even half, just part of the year I was in Belleville with Larry Maverty, which was a, a great experience on, uh, just the different ways the guys coaches, you know, I went from, you know, Bill LaForge, who was, you know, we had the Valentine's Day massacre where he didn't want the puck to even hit the ice before the faceoff. He wanted blood and death before we even got the game going to, you know, I got Larry Maverty, who's, uh, you know, I'm in there talking to him with Mush, uh, Brian Marchman. I, that year I actually played uh, forward, but uh, the following year he put me on defense, but I'm, I'm in there with Mush trying to figure out what we're doing for a power play. And he looks at me and Mush, he goes, you got more guys than they do score a goal. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty simplified coaching, you know? Uh, and then, you know, I went from there up to play for Burt Templeton and uh, Burt was a little more fanatical about a bit of a system and, uh, and just hard work and getting back, you know, so that it was easier on your D and your goalie. And, you know, he was just more of a, I'm the boss, you work hard for me kind of guy, you know, and yeah. that's where I, you know, another guy that Rick and I play a lot of hockey with, Gabe McElwain, and uh, we had Nick Kiprios and Bill Holder and Darren Turcotte and, uh, oh God, um, Sean uh, or um, Adam Burt. Uh, God, we had like eight or nine guys from that team that played like multiple years in the NHL from that one team. So that was a real neat experience to kind of have a winning team yep. like that. And we ended up winning our division. We played Oshawa in a seven game series to host the Memorial cup. 
because back then they didn't award it. You know, it was like you had to, the, the only award was the OHL got it that year. So whoever won the league got it. So we played them in a seven game series and lost the seventh game by a goal. So they became the host team. And then we went back in the playoffs, won our division. They won their division. We played each other again to see who would be the Ontario team. And the sixth game, I was skating with my head down and a guy hit me and I separated my shoulder. And so I didn't get to play the seventh game and we lost the seventh game to host Memorial or to be in the Memorial cup as the Ontario team. And uh, so that was a, a fun and exciting year, but frustrating too, just to get that close and never, never get in the taste of it. You know, I got a funny, good, funny story about Bert. Yeah. Uh, when I was coaching in Mississauga, which was just a horrible year. I mean, we won three games all goddamn year. Yeah. But we're playing in Sudbury and we're already down six, nothing. And they get power plays and Bert's putting out his number one line and yeah. the, the guys just keep giving us penalties. And so finally I started throwing sticks on the ice. And <laughs> pissed off. I told my trainer, I said, take out your goddamn scissors and go up there and cut that wolf off with the, the cable that it goes on. <laughs> Cause every time they score that wolf would go oh, across the wolf would and, howl and come across the ice there. Oh yeah. I, I, I told the, the trainer to go up and the cut wolf. the wire, but he, he never yeah. did. But so I got kicked out of the game and, uh, yeah. Birds just kept piling it up. I think we lost 10-1, I believe. Oh, yeah. No, no mercy there. No. Now, no. now uh, Troy, talk about your first camp with New Jersey and how things went and some of the expectations you had going in. Well, I had no idea, right? I mean, you know, you go to junior camp, you got a week of uh, basically a couple of days of skating and your exhibition games, right? Yeah. Um, uh, training camp was a whole new thing, and and – Lou was the GM at the time. And so he was all about, you know, anything new and cutting edge, doesn't matter what it was. He wanted to be on top of things. So we were doing like max VO two tests and running on treadmills and all kinds of things doing all these tests and stuff. And, and then we were having skate sessions. Plus then we were having, you know, rookie games and, and in our rookie games, like inter-squad games, there were fights. And in the rookie games, there was multiple fights. And I wasn't a very good skater. Uh, very, you know, my arches roll in. So my IT bands, the sides of my legs were just so sore. I'd never been through so much running and skating in my entire life, you know. And then I'd get back to the hotel, you know, and my hands would be all cut up and bruised from fighting. And my legs were sore. And all that was on was like, U.S. Open tennis, you know, and I I grew to hate the U.S. Open tennis. It, it took me years to to get over the fact that I hated tennis because of that training camp. Now I watch it, I love it, but like I really, it was like it took me about ten years after hockey was even retired that I even wanted to watch a tennis match because all it associated no, was with these rookie camps that were just basically physical abuse to my body, you know. Well, How the are the players treating you? The good oh, old ahead, days where we, the good old days where we went twice a day, yeah. Oh, yeah. two two hours, two and a half hours each session, and uh, yeah, like it you was, know when it you was did those compression things, they put on their legs now, and they fill up with air, oh, and yeah, it takes like, the lactic acid out of your legs. Yeah. And then you know, I like I went you know through the progress of what a modern day camp is. Like I was in San Jose in two thousand and one, right. 
you know, you're, you're only limited to this many hours on the ice, this many hours that you can even be around the team or coaches, yeah. this many hours that have to be free time. Like it was literally, you got up in the morning and ate. And by the end of the day, you were exhausted. And the only time you ever left the arena was to go back to the hotel across the street, to eat some food in between some other thing they're making you do, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was absolute just wear and tear. So, but yeah, I know the players, you know, obviously guys are trying to make the team. So, you know, there's a few guys I fought, you know, in, in my own inter-squad games or whatever, but most guys knew my reputation. And so, um, and the, the veteran guys love me, you know, like they were, yeah. couldn't wait for me to get on the team because, you know, besides Kenny Danico, they didn't have a whole lot of like heavyweights. They had a couple guys that would fight once in a while, but you know, they weren't really heavyweights. So, uh, the guys were, you know, pretty excited to get me on board. So, uh, they would take me out once in a while and I'd get to play, you know, a veteran squad, inner squad game or something once in a while. Cause you know, they were trying to include me in a little bit of stuff, but yeah, they were really good. And then that, you know, I did two years of that, uh, three years of that, I should say, I guess. And then, uh, or two years, two years of that. And then, um, my last year junior after that, uh, year we played North Bay and I got traded back to Belleville and that's when I started playing defense there had a fun year there and I think I had 40 points as a defenseman and played with Mush me when he, he were D partners and had a ton of fun and I remember the end of the season I'm you know gonna go out and have some beers with Mush and whatever else and we decided about two three in the morning that we're gonna get uh, my billets uh, brother was a police officer, so we we called him to give us a ride down to the down to the to the rink, so we could go have a couple of beer with Mav because we're now you know graduating from junior and you know allowed to drink kind of thing, you know. And uh, so we go down there, and Mav just starts cursing me out, "You stupid mother!" Going on about things, and I'm like, "What, Mav? We came down to see you." He goes, "You got to be in Utica tomorrow for a twelve o'clock game." And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, you got called up to the American League. And I'm like, where's Utica? Like, I had no idea where Utica was, right? He goes, it's in New York. You got to drive there. And I'm like, oh, my God. So my Billis brother drove me home. I think I napped for about three hours, got in my beat-up old car, drove down there, got there. The boys were already out for warm-up when I showed up. And Tommy Lee comes in. He goes, are you hungry, kid? I said, yeah, I haven't eaten all day okay and he goes and grabs me a couple of hot dogs i wolf him down before the game i go out have two fights maybe even three i can't remember that game and uh i don't know if we won or lost i have no idea it was all a blur to me at that point you know <laughs> and uh you know he just tapped me good job kid good job you know and so i ended up playing four games for them in the uh, i don't know if it was the playoffs i think it was the playoffs at the end of the season i can't remember it might have been playoffs but uh yeah so I played uh Last four games there. I got cross-checked, same thing. I think the third or fourth game, right in the chin, split open again by a guy. And uh, anyways, you know, season ends and now we're, you know, we're sitting around again in the bar having a few beers. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I can finally go home and relax and and enjoy, you know, the summer now. And And we're all sitting at a bar watching the New Jersey Devils play their last game of the season. And John McLean scores and they win right and uh everybody's jumping up and down and I, it's just not registering for me like i'm like i'm exhausted i just played four games and six nights had about eight fights like i'm just i just want to go home you know 
and everyone's like, "Whoa, they made the playoffs or whatever, right? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, it doesn't matter to me, you know. I wake up the next morning, phone rings. Troy, you got called up to, uh, or it's Lou, you're, you're coming up to uh, New Jersey for the playoffs, right? And I'm like, what? So I load up my beat up old car and, and I got like my mom's baby blue suitcase, you know, vinyl suitcase and load her up with my clothes and drive up to New Jersey. And I get there and I pull in and lose adamant about everybody being in a hotel for playoffs. Right. So I'm getting there just as all the guys are checking in to the hotel for playoffs. He doesn't want them at home, no distractions or anything. Right. And I come in with my bald tire Subaru and I pull up my big, huge vinyl baby blue suitcase and probably not wearing the best of clothes at the time. And Kirk Muller looks at me, he goes, Oh my God, we got to take this kid shopping. <laughs> <laughs> so I check in and I think it was probably the next day that Kirk took me out and got me some clothes and got me all hooked up or whatever, you know, and, uh, and they're just, yeah, everybody was just super supportive, you know, and uh, I didn't think I was going to play. I'm talking to, Murray Brumwell, who had been called up as an extra D just in case someone got hurt. And there's a couple of the younger guys there. And so we're all assuming there's no chance in heck we're going to play kind of thing. And, and we had Sean felt Jim as the coach at the time. And so Jim just said to us, uh, I think the second or third day, basically, I don't think we even did any in the first few days, probably second or third day, they arranged some ice for us. And he just said, uh, he'd throw a couple hundred dollars on the boards and he goes, okay, boys, three on three against each other, half ice for 45 minutes or whatever, then do whatever you want to condition yourselves. Uh, you know, winner gets the money to take out for lunch, uh, loser pays the tab or the, or the tip or something like that. Yeah. You know? And so basically I did that for like a month and a half, you know, just that was all <laughs> I did, you know, just first round. I think it was maybe the Islanders we played. Then we, then we played Washington and, you know, third round comes around and they actually, they would take me on the road trips with them, but I wasn't playing or dressing for warm up or anything, but at least I got to go on the road and stuff. So that was fun. And so anyways, we're now playing against Boston back at home, third game of the series, Stanley cup semifinals. And, you know, I'm getting up, you know, barely awake, getting ready for my, uh, you know, little shinny hockey game and phone <laughs> rings and, and I answer the phone. It's Lou and Lou's like, uh, Troy, uh, you're going to have warm up this morning. Uh, you're playing tonight. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I was just like, I can't believe this is even happening, you know? And so I called my parents. I'm like, I think I'm going to play hockey tonight. So they called all my friends. And so it became a pretty big thing in my little town here. Everybody was either, there's only a couple of bars. There's one at the bowling alley and one down the road there. So everybody was either at the bowling alley or the other bar getting ready to watch me play, you know? So I went out and played and had a couple scraps, you know, fought uh, Jay Miller and Lyndon Byers and, and uh, you know, they played me forward defense, penalty kill, power play everything i was just like oh my god like i must be a superstar you <laughs> like, can't believe this and uh so anyways my my second fight was against Lyndon byers near the end of the game and there was only maybe a minute and a half two minutes left so they kicked me out of the game and uh and i thought well i better stay here and high five the guys coming off the ice you know i gotta be a team guy or whatever right so I'm standing there and all of a sudden the players are coming off him high five. And then the cameras are all bulging in trying to get, you know, a view of things and whatever else. So I kind of backed up a bit and the players had gone by and Jim Schoenfeld was coming off the ice. And 
I hear him and the ref yelling at each other. Next oh, yeah. thing I know, I see the little bump happen, right? And it was more of a bump as in, I think, more Koharski was trying to get out of the way, and he stepped back. And was that have another donut night? Yeah, yeah. And he, slid, he slid on the cement because he was off the carpet, right? And he's like, you pushed me. And he goes, no, I didn't, you fat pig. Have another donut. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just witnessed this, you know? And so anyways, I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I bolted down the hallway and got to the dressing room. And uh, I'm telling that Shanahan sits beside me. So I'm telling him what happened. He goes, no way. I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, that just happened, you know? So anyways, they lost that game, lost the next game. And, you know, we were out four straight against Boston and, uh, you know, I was just like, well, what an experience, you know, just the fact, you know, I yeah. got to even play a game and I was, you know, just in utter awe. Right. And so I thought it was over. We're sitting around at the bar and we're, you know, same thing. Now I'm having a couple of beer and the season's over. And I think I'm going home finally, but at least now I got a, a real story to tell, you know, yeah. and, uh, and Kirk Muller sits, comes up beside me and he's like, great job, kid, you know, good it's great to have you, you know, you're going to be a part of this team and, you know, I'm proud of you and da, da, da. And the day he took me and Shani out for dinner and he got me a little clothes. I remember he drove me in this, he had this 300 ZX, ZX, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, yeah. it was maybe two or three years old and had the digital dash and T tops and everything. And I was just, you know, compared to my you know, 15 year old Subaru, I was driving, I was pretty impressed. Right. So anyways, he comes up to me, we're having some chats or whatever. And he said, uh, so what are you going to do with your bonus money? So well, I don't even know what I got. It's not very much. I don't think I only played the one game. And he says, uh, you're going to buy a car. I said, I couldn't buy a car. He goes, you want to buy my car? And I said, well, I don't have enough money to buy your car. He goes, how much is your bonus? I said, I think it's like 1500 bucks or something like that. He goes, that'll do. And I was Jeez. like, what? And he goes, listen, kid, he says, uh, you're going to, you're going to be a big part of this team. And he says, I got a pretty good bonus. He says, uh, you cash that $1,500 in and you can take my car home. It's yours. Wow. So wow. I was just like <laughs> bewildered, right? Like this is unbelievable that the captain is doing this. And so now, now that I play in the NHL, but I'm driving to my hometown, you know, with a white 300 ZX with the T-tops and everything, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it was a pretty neat first game experience for me. That was for sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so uh, that, that's a pretty big story to to up. But 1990, you stuck with the team for good. Yeah. I, I mean, how was that whole experience? Did you have a chance to take it all in, or was it just a blur going by? It was a little bit of both. Um, like the first game, it was a blur because you know it was the first game of the season, and it's my first full full year with the team right i'm gonna start with the season and be there kind of thing and uh so i was you know a little excited a little nervous a little whatever but you know excited that it's you know i'm gonna be in the nhl now this is what's gonna happen and uh so i just remember sitting on the bench and it wasn't very long into the game when uh proby gave claude lemieux a good whack with a stick across the head you know and uh and at that point, I really didn't know Claude very well. And, you know, he just came to the team and whatever else. And I just thought, oh, that's one of my teammates, right? So whoever skated by, I just yelled at them to get off the ice. And I jumped the bench and I went right after him. And uh, so yeah. we ended up fighting. And uh, I cut him that fight. And so he went off. And because of stitches and whatever else, I, he didn't come back and play. And so, I, you know, I played the rest of the game and didn't think much about it. And then after the game, everybody was just making such an ordeal. And I just, I just never it didn't register 
till kind of it just kept growing and growing and growing you know the newspaper articles and the interviews and then i was like holy geez like you know i've beaten up a lot of big guys before i just never thought that it would become this big of an event you know and so that's kind of when a combination of um the blur and i was also aware of what was going on because uh it was just it was such a a big thing like everywhere i went like i then became the either the target of somebody wanting to take on the new heavyweight champ yeah you know and get their name or you know i was kind of uh expecting you know well i'm the new guy so i better be ready and i i also had a trainer at the time that i didn't figure this out till he told me after the season was over but uh he loved, he was my trainer in, in the American Hockey League and he loved fights and he loved that I could beat up pretty much everybody. So he would actually instigate the fights. So he would, when the visiting <laughs> team would come or if we were the visiting team, you know, you, the true trainers meet each other to coincide about, you know, who the locker room boys are, who's doing laundry, where this is going, that's going. And he would in turn say to their trainer, Crowder's going after Cox tonight or Crowder's coming after McSorley tonight or whatever. Right. And then (laughs) their trainer would in turn go tell that guy that I'm coming after them. Meanwhile, he'd come up to me and say, Hey, Troy, I was just talking to their trainer and uh, he told me Cox is coming after you tonight. (laughs) So He basically had brokered the fight before it even happened, you know? And so uh, a lot of, of what had happened in my fights, I thought guys were just coming at me for no apparent reason, but I'm pretty sure that my trainer had brokered probably 80 or 90% of them, you know? That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like, that's like Jim Pizzatelli in Buffalo. Uh, he used to give out the, the tough guys, he used to give them robes to wear around the dressing room like they're boxers, right? Oh, yeah, and he yeah. loved the fights and he used to, he used to chirp at guys on the ice and get guys into fights as well. And it was pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. The train the trainers love that kind of stuff, I tell oh, you. Yeah. They do. Yeah. You know, now Troy, so the Probert battle it became famous, obviously. So now what happened of uh, the legend of the Probert Crowder fights obviously continued on. What the Yeah, next so time- then so basically we didn't play each that was like the first game of the year and we didn't play again until January, like end of January against each other, yeah. right? Because we were in different conferences and that. So uh anyhow, so between then and the first fight and the and the rematch fights, then it was like I think I had nine fights against the Philadelphia Flyers between, you know, the first game of the season in January one. And then we'd go on the road and, you know, I remember going into LA and they had my height and weight and reach and everything in the boxing column because there was no big fights going on. So they talked about the possibility of me fighting McSorley or maybe somebody else with the team or whatever. Right. And then, you know, we're going into Edmonton and there's, you know, talks about me fighting there. And, and so then we go into Vancouver and that's when the Cox fight happens because my trainer's telling, you know, their trainer and, and Brian Burke has a funny story about it. You know, I just saw Brian at the Hall of Fame inductions a little while ago, and he was telling Coxie, like, listen, this kid's knocking people out left, right, and center. Like, I got you here just in case something happens. Like, you don't have to fight him, and if you do fight him, don't be looking to exchange punches with this guy. Like, grab him good and whatever, you know? And uh, he goes, he didn't listen very well. (laughs) So, anyways, uh, 
but I think I think Cooper, my my uh, trainer, probably provoked that one as well. So, you know, I had knocked out a few guys, and I had won pretty much every fight from that point on. So by the time the rematch came, it was it was like big news, and I, I became friends with Ron McLean afterwards, and he was telling me that him and Don drove down from Toronto to Detroit just to watch the game. They weren't even broadcasting it. And they just sat in the stands. They got two tickets and they went up in there and they watched it. And uh, so anyways, first fight happens because I'm at the end of my shift. And again, another story comes out from this. Gerard Gallant did an interview with The Athletic about this. And he told Proby, he said, listen, I'm going to come off when, when Crowder, if we're on the same time, I'm going to come off at the end of my shift a little early and you jump on for me and get him at the end of his shift or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. what happened. He came after me and I just had a minute and a half shift and I was pretty tired. So, but I wasn't going to say no in front of 18,000 people and look like yeah. a chicken or whatever. Right. So, so anyways, he came after me and got kind of got the jump on me or whatever. And we fought and, uh, you know, I'd say he maybe got a little bit the better of me, but, uh, you know, I wasn't cut or hurt or anything, but after I after that fight and after I got out of the penalty box, I had uh, my coach was um, oh god, I can't even believe I'm not thinking of this right now. Uh, I'm having a mental block on this one. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. I loved him as a coach, and I can't believe I'm not remember his name right now. Well, Robbie for Anyways, uh, so he said he says to me, uh, "Screw that!" He says, "You are not getting another shift on the ice." until I can get you on the end of one of his shifts. And so <laughs> I basically sat there the whole game waiting for the opportunity. And finally he was stuck in a corner and one of our guys was close and he pulled whoever off the ice and I jumped on the ice and I went after him. And, and Proby's like, fuck you, I've been on forever. You know, I said, so yeah. was I last time. And I just started <laughs> throwing them at him, right? And so anyways, we both got kicked out of the game and, uh, and Ron and Don, as soon as I got, we both got kicked out, walked down from their seats and drove back to Toronto. They didn't even stay for the third period. You know? <laughs> so, was that, uh, oh, God, what's his name? The guy, I just mentioned it. Uh, Robbie Fatork? No, no, it was... Uh, Not Jack uh, John, No, no, it was John Cunniff. Sorry, John, I, Cunniff. I, sorry, John I should remember oh, your name. But okay, I, loved, yeah. I loved John Cunniff as a coach. He gave me all kinds of ice time and believed in me and just liked my character. And he was the guy that I actually, I scored five goals in the first 25 games as him as my coach. Uh, he was a great guy. Now, speaking of Cherry and, uh, and McLean, you had a very interesting introduction to Cherry the first time you met him, didn't you? You want to share that little story? I think the first time I met him actually was at a softball softball event or something i think is the first time i met him i'm trying to think of where else i might have met on but then you go up to him and say to him uh i just want to let you know i'll be the new heavyweight champ of the nhl you're speaking to him or something like that and he went okay kid you got a ways to go but good no luck. no that was i think that was the, that was yeah so that was after the first year i think the playoffs maybe or maybe after my first year i think maybe it was after my first year and kirk muller was getting married in Kingston and there was a charity Molson's okay. used to do all these charity softball games down in Niagara yeah. area. And mm -hmm. so I was down there. And so I, there was Bobby Orr and, uh, and Don and whoever and Kirk and all, we were all on the same team. And, uh, that's kind of, uh, and, uh, 
Cherry had said something about the fights. I said, oh, something about, oh, you know, you better watch out for the big guy. You know, I said, don't worry. I'll be the heavyweight of this league for a while or something like that. Too. He goes, oh, you got a ways to go, kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so Kirk Muller, again, another great Kirk Muller story. Yeah. I always tell people he, what a phenomenal captain he was. So we're going into Detroit the night before, right? And uh, And Kirk says to me, you know, what do you like to do, Troy? And. You know, at that time I'm single and, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, the female body. So I said, yeah, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, strip bar or something like that. You know, he said, uh, so we had a team meeting and he said, listen, boys, you think we're going to let Troy sit in his hotel, hotel room all night and think about what he's going to do tomorrow? He says, we're all going out as a team. And then he asked me what I like to do. And I said, strip bar or whatever. So he said, you don't all have to stay very long. He said, but we're all going out as a team and we're going to support Troy and whatever, right? So Kirk told the coach, he said, listen, we're all going out tonight. We're not doing a morning skate. We don't want whatever. We'll show up, make the pregame meal anytime between two and five when our guys can show up whenever they feel like they want to eat. And uh, we'll see you at the game kind of thing, right? And so wow. we went out and we got pretty lambasted uh, that night and uh I remember the bar owner just kept giving me shooters, any free drink I wanted because he wanted Proby to kick my ass. You know, he just kept saying, <laughs> he kept saying like, oh, yeah, because I love the, I can't wait for the fight tomorrow, but I tell you right now, you can drink for free all night because I want Proby to kick your ass or whatever. Like, yeah. So we we had an unbelievably fun night. And we'd lost, I think, previous road trip, like four or five road games in a row. And so Kirk was like, we got to change it up anyways, right? So we decide no morning skate, or he decides no morning skate. We're going to go out as a team. We're going to party. We're going to keep Troy preoccupied. And it worked. We went out. We beat them the next day. I fought twice. We won the game. And, uh, you know, that was uh, – uh, and then I think we won a whole bunch of road games after that. So it was, it was a good good thing on Kirk's behalf. Hey, Squid, can you top that one as a captain? Uh, no, I don't believe – well, I, I shouldn't say I can't, but um... – yeah, we had our fair share of going out and uh, yeah. and going to the strip joints and that sort of thing. And uh, but they it was were commonplace back they then. They were mandated sure. team meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was either that or you're going to some little dive restaurant in the afternoon for lunch, and lunch included a lot of beers. You know, that was uh, the fun of the '80s and '90s hockey. That's for sure. Well, Troy, I think uh, Squid's being modest because one of his stories was going into Philadelphia with the team and all of a sudden the, the Philly flu overcame the team. Oh. And it was near the end of the season and they had a few games left. Yeah. And the, the, no, the, the it was our last had, game of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the team was going to reward the players with a couple extra days vacation or a party. And he yeah. flipped out and he said, what are you talking about? These guys all pulled the shoot and act yeah, like yeah. a bunch yeah. of pussies. Yeah, and yeah. now they're not playing? We're not. Why are we reward, rewarding these guys? Oh yeah, well, you, no, the Fred, you were there. The, the Philly was taking flu, us the Philly to flu was uh, legitimate. It was as big as COVID back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Ballard was taking us to uh, what's the place in New Jersey uh, where the casinos are? Oh, Atlantic City. Atlantic City. Atlantic yeah. City. After the game in Philly. Yeah. Well, a week leading up to that, about eight guys went down with sore groins, sore backs. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, oh, so, yeah. like, we literally have eight or nine guys in suits <laughs> sitting in the press box. And yeah. we're, we're our last game of the year is in Philly. And we're not yeah. making the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I said to King Clancy, I said, why are we going to Atlantic City? Like, why is he rewarding us for not making the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. He said, 
I don't know. That's just yeah. Harold. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay. So, uh, yeah, off we went to Atlantic City, all the guys with their suits on and that were sitting in the goddamn press box. And I yeah. like, I think there was eight or nine guys went down. And oh, yeah. we lost 7-1. And I think we only had eight shots on goal. <laughs> and one of them was my shot from about probably five feet inside the blue line which was probably the best shot we had the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh, yeah, we, no, we just sad. got a couple minutes left with you, Troy. We want to thank you so much. We could talk to you for hours. Uh, but yeah. uh, with that team, it sounds like that New Jersey team is pretty close. How about uh, some of the funny stuff that was going on? Any pranks that uh, you can share with us that uh, got your attention? I'm sure Mueller, being the leader he was, was behind a few. Well, you know what? There wasn't a lot of pranks, you know what? But – uh, Kenny Danico might have been the, one of the funniest guys. Is always in that picture there, one of the funniest guys. And then uh, there's Boschman and Stewart. And I, I, remember, I could tell you a thousand stories. So Boschman and Stewart and I were lying, and Laurie got his thousands penalty minute or whatever it was, right? So I said to Stewie when he was in the box, I said, "I'm gonna ask the coach to put us out there with somebody else." I said, "Whack somebody, slash somebody, do whatever. I'm gonna cross check somebody." We'll get a picture of the three of us in the penalty box together for, for Bosch's thousandth minute. So we did. And then I got that photo of the three of us with our arms around each other celebrating Laurie's thousandth minute in, in the NHL. But, but, uh, That's a good one. Ken, Ken, Kenny was hilarious. You know, he, he'd skate to the bench and he'd go, you know, if he maybe got an assist or a goal or something, he's like, what? Fight everybody block every shot, score every goal. What else do you want me to do? You know, like, or he'd, you know, he'd walk around the dressing room, flex his back and he'd go table for five. Anybody table for five. And he'd be flexing his lats, you know, and I remember, uh, I remember after the season there, he goes, Troy he says, uh, talking to the ref. He says, they're putting a new penalty in next year. He says, it's going to screw my career over for sure. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, when the guys are in front of the net, you know, and I grab them and I just throw them out of the way. He said, they're going to call me next year. Kenny Danico, two minutes for pure power. He <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was a fun character. Fun, fun character. Now, yeah, um, he's a pretty, pretty fun guy. Oh, yeah. Now, Troy, how was the European experience? Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Great experience for, especially for a guy like me, who, you know, fought his whole career, got to go over there. I think I one punched a guy once in England, and I one punched a guy once in Germany. And that was enough to let the whole league know, "Don't bug me." <laughs> and uh, and so I got to play. I had tons of fun. I got to see Europe. Uh, just a great overall experience, you know. I uh, had a lot of fun, and I had friends over there too. So it was it was good. It was a great way for me to end my career. And uh, I, I I tell everybody I've got a buddy of mine Andrew Desjardins from my hometown here won a cup with Chicago a few years back and and when you know he wasn't playing much and I just said to him I said Andrew if you ever get a chance to go to Europe just go do it man just for the experience and I think he's been there for six or seven years now still playing and you know I said plus what better way to keep making a living than being a hockey player you know yeah. you're, you're still getting paid you're seeing europe your kids are getting an education of how the world is languages whatever so yeah it's it was a great experience to be able to go there after and play my last couple of years well, yeah. dave McElwain made the best of europe yeah. i'll tell you he was yeah. there for what about 10 years or 12 years oh, at least uh, yes yeah. same with the other guy lenny social from that same junior team that had all those great players 
Lenny went over there and he won every division to get his team in the DEL, the team I played for. Uh, he spent probably 18 years playing over there. And oh, another wow. guy from North Bay that I played with, he was over there. He played there for probably 15 years, married a girl, moved back here. And yeah, I knew quite a few guys that went over and played and made, made a very good life out of it. Well, same with McCourt, Dale McCourt, uh, first rounder to the Detroit Red Wings, right? Yeah. Dale, Dale went over and played a good 10, 12 years over in Europe as well. Now, speaking of playing in different leagues, I see in your resume here you played in that Quebec league. The yeah, crazy, yeah. you're laughing, but you you lasted there. Like, was it even too much for you to say enough of this? Oh, nonsense? it was too much for sure. I had <laughs> tore I had tore my shoulder out um, in San Jose. I went back to San Jose after being retired for a couple of years, and that's a whole other story. But I tore my shoulder out, and uh, I was trying to rehab it to see if I could get it to work again, and. Uh, and I thought, well, you know what? These guys called me and they're like, hey, listen, are you interested in playing? And this was the deal or whatever, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I might as well just see if my shoulder's going to work, you know? And I got there and it was such a circus that I just said, like, I, I can't even do, I can't even do this. Like, yes, this is to a level that it should be a movie, this whole thing. And like, it, it is utter craziness, like what went on in that league. Well, I think there was a movie well, called Danbury Trashers. Well, asked, no, yeah, I'm joking. Like, I had a different version, but similar. Well, somebody I think they told have a me thing called Les, Les Boys or something, a French version that I think is very similar too. But I still think that none of them even do justice to what was really going on. Well, someone told me that basically all the tough guys would come on the ice for the opening face-off. They would all fight, and then the hockey game would begin. <laughs> Well, there was many varieties of things that would happen, but I do remember one of my games that uh, Sasha Lakovic, who played a few games in Calgary, I fought him there. He went out and proceeded to basically take his elbow pads and gloves and helmet off and skate around the ice and give the, the old, I want to hear a cheer like he's at a wrestling match. And this was like a five minute presentation before they actually got in a fight. And the refs oh, just God. let him skate around and do this and cheer and flex and whatever, like for five straight <laughs> minutes before the fight even started. Hey, it's a long way from the National Hockey League, I, oh, I would say. No. Would you, I, yeah. I, for just for the experience to see it, to believe it, it was worth going. But it was it was such a um, travesty to the game and humanity that I just couldn't do it, you know. So give us a little bit more insight into the enforcer product that you're trying to create uh, to raise money well it's not really an enforcer product as much as it is just uh you know there's mental health issues everywhere yep. right and the world has just seemingly got crazier and crazier you know uh the demands on people are higher and so and i've been over to afghanistan with the military on four trips i've been to kuwait five times i've been to ukraine i've been to latvia uh, when we were preparing our soldiers for what's going on right now. Uh, I have a lot of police friends. Um, I have friends that work in the military and, uh, and as an experienced fighter myself, you know, not only is it hard to transition out of hockey just in general, because it's yeah. your whole life's been about hockey and then you have to adapt. But as a fighter, you know, you've also have a different identity and people take you in a different manner and, so, you know, a lot of us have went through a real emotional time in that. And then, you know, just through other things in life. I mean, 50% of people get divorced and that uh, 
so there's just mental health issues everywhere and yep. and so i thought you know it's a neat concept because when the first time that we were asked to go over to afghanistan many of the wives were terrified to let their husbands go and many guys didn't want to go to a war zone so it ended up being almost all tough guys that went over there fighters right so Tiger Williams, me, Probert, uh, Stu Grimson, Ryan Vandenbush, uh, Delgarno. Uh, I see. So anyway, so yeah, we had, we had a whole group of guys that went there, right? So, um, and then I, I did a bit of a fundraiser using this Enforcers for the Forces big poster that we kind of made up, raising some money for some military charities a few years back. And and you know people who love the the old school hockey love that kind of stuff right yep and then i started thinking you know all these tours we do you know i get in a dressing room i start telling stories and guys like my stories and so i thought well what if i gathered a bunch of nhl guys that were fighters and quite a few of us have went through some emotional and mental stresses over our lifetimes and breakdowns and different things and and we do some fundraising for you know, other players for military, for the police, uh, and, you know, their benevolent association for police that are going through mental health and different things. And, and, but more than anything, just an awareness campaign, like just to let people mm-hmm. know hey, if these tough guys in the military and hockey enforcers and police guys can have, you know, mental health breakdowns than anybody can. And so yeah. let's not be afraid to talk about it. And so that's kind of where I'm kind of headed with this, uh, you know, just trying to get organized with, you know, timing arenas, players, uh, insurance, liability, all these things yep. that go on along with it. Right. So I've Great talked idea. To our, with our PA about it or alumni association, I should say about it. And so just kind of in the early stages of getting that going. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the plan. Uh, uh, earliest it would be it would be this spring but it's probably more than likely will be in the future of next year where we can get things really organized properly and do it well great idea yeah great idea well i got almost 1600 penalty minutes troy can i come well, you're in but you're, you're in then you got you got more than me <laughs> I, I might have a few more fights but you got more pims for sure so yeah, on a I, final I, note I right a few fights. i just didn't win very many <laughs> Well, well it's funny Troy, right yeah. over here, there's a picture from the hockey news, and it says "Devil in the Skies," and it's a picture of me when I was Christmas time when I was beating everybody up, and <laughs> and part of the article is uh, it's better to give than receive, you know. The <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. Now, just on a final thing here for you before we let you go is yeah. the political ambitions and the, yeah. how did that all come about? Well, I uh, just. Uh, lost my job with Calgary, uh, the GM at the time had brought in, you know, friends of his that he worked with in Arizona. And so I was the odd man out kind of thing. And, uh, so I was going through a bit of a tough time and, and I was living at Barry at the time. And, and I played noon hockey with Patrick Brown quite a bit at the time. And he was an avid hockey player and he was the, I think an MP at the time. Yeah. MP. Yeah. And, uh, always doing fundraisers, always involved in charity, just a good guy, you know? So we chatted quite a bit and then he decided to run for the, the head of the provincial uh, conservative parties. And, uh, and so he ended up winning and then, you know, he was going to run for the leadership of the province and him and I got chatting, you know, I told him, you know, I wasn't doing this and I was thinking about moving back up to Sudbury and this and that he goes, well, listen, if you're moving to Sudbury, he says, why don't you run? 
you or your mom. They said, you're, you know, you and your mom both got this reputation of helping everybody up in Sudbury and da, da, da. And, and I thought, you know what? I love helping people and I've traveled the world. I've seen all these great ideas where cities use, you know, boast their, their assets of whatever it's mineral resources or their assets of their environment for tourism and different things. And I'm like, no, Sudbury doesn't utilize anything except for our mining. We've got all these lakes and we've got all these outdoor rinks and we've got all these paths. And like, it'd be fun to kind of help promote mm-hmm. a better lifestyle for the people who live here, help yep. to create some uh, tourism business, which tourism helps the music industry. It helps the theater industry, helps the restaurant industry, you know? And so I'm like, there's just so many easy things I thought I could help. So basically I thought, well, this is a great way because what better than your friend being the premier that to get funding to make some stuff happen. Right. (laughs) And uh, it was a sure thing that, you know, the conservatives were going to win the election. Um, But little did we know that Patrick was going to get ousted with a coup that went on. And uh, so that was highly frustrating to, to be a part of that and see what went on. And, uh, I remained in the race uh, just because I thought, well, I've went this far. I don't know Doug Ford, but, you know, at least I'm going to get a chance to represent my city and my area and, uh, you know, appeal for funding. And it's not known as a conservative riding. So I thought if I win, you know, that Doug would be very much uh, in support of doing things for me and my area to, to kind of get the, the tide maybe to swing, um, but I didn't get elected. I uh, came second to the NDP. Doug went on to win. Um, and you can say whatever you want about Doug and liking and not liking Doug or whatever, but you know we had a liberal government in power here for 16 years, uh, and we had our MPP our, here that was the head of uh, uh, the energy sector or whatever, uh, and nothing ever changed in Sudbury. And we had a we had a medical crisis with our aging population for 16 years of shortage of beds and all these things, and literally one or two years into his term, Doug Ford announced 60 million dollars for more hospital beds and more money for yep. for uh, old age homes and da 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 da. So when we have nobody in the Conservative Party anywhere in this area, and he's still throwing money around that we never got when we had people in power. Uh, you know, shows to his character because he was up here several times and I drove around with him, pointed out a lot of issues and things we could do. And uh, he stepped in and did a very good thing for the community of Sudbury in the north, basically, for our hospital. Fantastic. Well, Squid, uh, we've kept Troy long enough. Any final thoughts? I'll I'll, I'll be seeing you hopefully sometime soon at another event. Uh, Squid and I both love to to do the hockey events and so oh, yeah. yeah we'll probably bump into each other at one of those and uh and i'll definitely keep you in mind if i get this uh, tour underway this year but for sure we'll have her running by next year well that's fantastic yeah, well, listen, Trevor, can't i'll make you sure enough. i say hello to your son and give him a hug for you yeah perfect yeah and your kids listen your Troy, kids you want to thank you so much for coming on down there you, you can tell yeah, by how he, he acts on yeah. face yeah Anyway, Troy, thanks very much for coming on. We really appreciate your stories, and uh, we just ran out of time. But anyway, fantastic stuff, and best to you. Okay, thanks, guys.